0: instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. Like in the parking lot at your kids' pee-wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The Volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, and I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio, so use promo code JASONT and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states, FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. Dial one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit www. M-A-H-E-L-P-L-I-N-E dot org slash problem gambling. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial one eight seven seven eight 877 8 hope ny or text HOPE-NY to four six seven three six nine in New York. Dial one 522 4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Sunday, everybody. We are live on AMP. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are going to be covering the Bulls, picking up a win in LeBron James' return to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Denver Nuggets getting what I think is the signature win of their season over the Milwaukee Bucks last night in super impressive fashion. And then I have a take involving some of the blame that's being directed towards Kyrie Irving for the Dallas Mavericks and their very predictable struggles that they've had since the trade. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops. Tonight. And last but not least, before we get started, you guys have heard me talk about Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. If you're looking to get out to an NBA game, college basketball game, an NHL game, Major League Baseball game, a concert, or a comedy show, Game Time has amazing last minute deals on tickets to all of these. So if you're trying to get out to an NBA playoff game, Game Time has you covered. If you need to go see your favorite artist when they come to town, <laughs> Game Time has you covered. They've taken amazing care of me in the past. I know they'll take great care of you guys. You're going to find a good deal. You're going to find a good seat. You're going to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. I highly encourage you guys to check it out. So no matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the Game Time app. Enter your email and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price. Guarantee. All right, let's talk some basketball. <clears throat> so after the uh, NBA uh, trade deadline, I kind of started reevaluating the Lakers as essentially a brand new team because that's what they were. They basically turned over half of their rotation between Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt, and Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell. They're essentially a brand new team. And then also... We have to kind of consider them from the perspective of LeBron James and Anthony Davis coming back because basically for the entire season you've had one or the other rather than both. Like, like we're not going to – I'm going to talk a little bit about the Bulls today. Not going to talk a ton about them. Here's the reason why. Their big three has played in almost every single game this year. I think the, the player who's played the least amount of games has only played 66. I think that's DeMar DeRozan. LeBron and AD have both played in the mid-40s for games this year. The Bulls have had their guys all year and they've lost. They've been below 500 despite that. They are one of the worst three-point volume shooting teams in the league. They make fewer threes per game than anybody in the league, and they vastly outshot the Lakers today. There's a lot of -of out-of-character stuff from the Bulls today. That said, they wanted that game more. I want to give them credit for that. But what I was looking at this game as an opportunity to learn about was learn about the Lakers in a real must-win game from both teams because, like it or not, regardless of how you feel about the Bulls, they are trying to win. They're in the 10 seed. They want to get into the playoffs. Um, I think that they feel a little bit better about their chances than what you would think, given the way that their basketball product has looked throughout most of the season. And you have the Patrick Beverly element. Patrick Beverly very much wanted to whoop the Lakers' ass today. So I thought it was a good opportunity to learn more about the Lakers. And yes, I'm disappointed in their effort. There's no doubt the Bulls wanted it more. But since the deadline, with that roster turnover for the Lakers... I've been evaluating them as a new team. And one of the specific things that has consistently stood out to me is that they don't handle intense perimeter defense well. If we look through their games, they've had a lot of success. I mean, I think we've learned uh, that they're uh, – I think if I remember correctly, if I'm getting the, the standings right, they're 12-6 and six since the new players started playing before this game today. And their losses are basically like a Houston game that you throw out because Anthony Davis didn't play – And then the Dallas game, which you kind of throw out because they were up big with a minute left and Anthony Davis just made two big mistakes. But their other losses are all to excellent perimeter defense teams. It's like, oh, wait, like, Memphis had, you know, Tyus Jones and Dylan Brooks getting in everybody's face, and they took a loss. And it's like, oh, Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels got in everybody's face all game, and they couldn't score. And then you're like, oh, the New York Knicks, here comes Emmanuel quickly and Josh Hart and and Miles McBride, and 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 they're just up in your grill from the opening tip with a lot of ball pressure and containing the basketball. And one of the big reasons for that is the Lakers' guards are are finesse guards. They're guards that love to uh, get over the top of the screen and pick and roll, and methodically work their way to their spots. But that's not how Chicago plays. They are physical at the point of attack, and they're pushing you off of your line, and they're not letting you get comfortable and pick and roll so that you can methodically pick a team apart. And to their credit, they caused a boatload of issues for the Lakers with that ball pressure. They turned them over 18 times leading to 34 points for Chicago. That was the difference in the game, pretty much. The Bulls only had nine turnovers that led to only 16 Laker points. Now, I thought the Lakers left a lot on the table defensively. I talked a lot about shot making. Chicago's shot making was out of control. They made 14 threes on 45%, despite being a team that only makes about 10 threes per game at a significantly lower percentage, right? There's a lot of shot making stuff that went Chicago's way. But... What do I always say? I'm a firm believer that there is a direct connection between effort level and shot making. I believe that when one team is bringing real verve and and competitiveness to a game, while the other team is kind of chilling, I think there's a confidence that brews from that. When you guys were watching that game, did it feel to you guys that they were exuding a ton of confidence between Patrick Beverly and the attitude he carried throughout the whole game? Look at DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine during their shot making there in the second half. There's a play where Zach Levine calls for a screen, gets switched on to Malik Beasley, just dusts him to the basket. Anthony Davis doesn't protect the rim. Easy layup. And he's running down camera row, just screaming that he can't guard me. They carried themselves in a very confident way. They went in that arena today and said, we're going to whoop the Lakers' ass. Here's the thing. The Lakers are better. They're flat out better. Even with all the injuries, they've been a better team this year. But they couldn't get it done because they didn't meet that aggression with aggression. And that's been a pretty consistent theme for the Lakers, unfortunately. They had a similar thing happen when uh, uh, when Anthony Davis came back last time. Like LeBron was carrying the team and they were playing with this hectic energy all season long and then ad came back and they just all just kind of collectively exhaled and relaxed and you saw that again today it's like they play with this crazy effort as they rip off twelve. like lebron missed a full month of games and and they stayed significantly above 500 over that sp- uh, span because they played with a chaotic desperate energy every single game but then LeBron comes back and everyone's like let's take a deep breath and then it kind of turns on them quickly this is a this league I'm telling you like the amount of talent yeah Chicago sucks relative to the rest of the league that's a fact but there's a lot of talent on that roster DeMar DeRozan's really good Zach Levine's really good you know, Andre Drummond, even their backup center, gave Anthony Davis a lot of issues in this game. Alex Caruso is a bulldog of a guard. Aya Desunmu was giving Dennis Schroeder fits in the first half with his length and pressure on the ball. They are a talented team. And in this league, if you do not bring it against good teams, you will get beat. Just ask the Dallas Mavericks, who just dropped two games to the Charlotte Hornets, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I thought those were the two biggest factors in the game: the inability to handle the ball pressure from the Lakers guards and then just the overall gap in aggression and competitiveness and effort and physicality in this game. And that's a pretty quick way to get yourself beat. Um you know I thought I thought you saw that dynamic and ball pressure show up with LeBron on the floor. So what did I say about the uh, uh about LeBron's pending return? I I kept saying that I thought LeBron directly addressed a lot of very specific weaknesses for the Lakers. Like they've been really good, right? Twelve and six. But they have some weaknesses, like we've discussed. LeBron, what I loved about bringing him back to this group is if I take the Laker guards in their best and their biggest weaknesses and inability to handle ball pressure, Why is that important? Because you need your guards to break the defense down to get the team into rotation so that you can get quality shots, right? So when they're containing the basketball, those quality shots aren't there. What's another way to get a defense into rotation? By posting up and drawing multiple defenders. And in a lot in this game, like Chicago wasn't exactly doubling that frequently in this game, but LeBron was able to beat Chicago's ball pressure by just posting up every single time. And that showed in the plus minus the Lakers were minus 14 in this game when LeBron James was off the floor and they were plus four when he was on the floor. Now, if they, th- that I, <clears throat> I think they're capable of overcoming that to a certain extent, especially against teams, especially against teams like Chicago, even with LeBron off the floor. But I did think that was a significant dynamic in this game and like moving forward, like, here's the thing. I, I, I was uh, texting a friend about this before the show, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers went into Chicago on Wednesday and handled them by double digits. They are a much better team with much better players. And LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like LeBron, I thought, brought a good amount of aggression. Anthony Davis mailed it in. We're going to talk about that in a second. The guards didn't play well. There was there was a huge gap in shot result. There's a chance for them to go into Chicago on Wednesday, and if they bring the requisite effort, they will beat them. But if they bring a similar level of aggression and and lack of physicality, they'll get beat. I wanted to talk about Anthony Davis because he only attempted eight shots in this game. And, you know, one of the most common refrains that you'll hear from Laker fans and Anthony Davis apologists is they'll be like, oh, well, the guards aren't looking for him. The guards aren't looking for them. And I just don't buy that. There was a play in the middle of the fourth quarter. I want to say it was like an 11-point game. And LeBron or Anthony Davis catches... On the left wing with Derek Jones Jr. guarding him and nobody else nearby. And rather than turning and attacking, he literally just casually dribbled the ball out to the three point line and did a dribble handoff with Malik Beasley. No, man. Why do you run offense? You run offense to get an advantage. You already have the advantage. There's no reason to run any offense. Go to work. You're Anthony Freaking Davis. And that is a six foot six skinny wing coming off the bench for the Chicago Bulls. Take him to work. I'll give you an example. What did LeBron do? Half of this game. Just dribble the ball before. Oh, Alex Caruso's on me. Everybody get out of the way. I'm just going to back him down and go to the basket. Here's three half spin moves and pivot, pivot, pivot. Oh, pump fake. Oh, Alex got off his feet. Here's an and one. Because why why would LeBron call for a ball screen? Why would LeBron say, hey, we're going to run a horn set? There's no reason to to run offense in a basketball game except for to get an advantage. If you already have an advantage, there's no need to run anything. Go to work. And like, yeah, like the Anthony Davis didn't quite have the same amount of, uh, of an advantage against uh, Andre Drum and good athletic, like strong centers have given Anthony Davis issues over the years. But like he spent a good portion of that game with Vucevic on him before the ejection and with Derek Jones Jr. on him. There's no excuse for attempting eight shots. You are the best player on the team. Demand the basketball. Go to work. That was their, especially when the guards just didn't have it. Austin Reeves, five turnovers. Dennis Schroeder was one, uh, four for 10. Lonnie Walker, one for three. Malik Beasley, up until garbage time, could not make a shot. Their best opportunity to run effective offense was LeBron James post-ups and Anthony Davis post-ups. That was literally their best opportunity. And LeBron, in limited minutes, went for it and applied that pressure, and Anthony Davis did not. And it, it just was... Uh, it, that... Again, he was unbelievable the other day against Oklahoma City. Otherworldly good. And what did I say after the game? My, my, it, it, like, rooting for Anthony Davis is one of the most frustrating things in the world because he either brings it with aggression and looks like the best player in the world or does not and turns into Clint Capella. I've said this for years now. And again, everything will be fine. If they go into Chicago on Wednesday and beat them and they have the ability to, and I expect them to, but at your 37 and 37, you just got to 500 and now you're back below. And it is vitally important to get that seven seed. Like, where's the competitive fire, man? Where is the fire? It just, it was, re- it was really disappointing. Um, and that's been such an interesting dynamic with the Lakers all season. When they've had long shot odds, they've been that underdog that's brought the energy and the effort. When they've been whole, they collectively exhale and relax. And it's been an issue throughout the year. But I want to tip the cap to Chicago, though, because that was just... That was such a... It was one of the things that I love about the game of basketball. Just like... The game of basketball does not reward a lack of effort. And... Even a team like the Bulls that has a boatload of flaws, even a team like the Bulls, if you don't bring it against them, they can start to feel themselves and get a bunch of confidence and they can shoot you out of the game. And, and, and like it, 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 you have to respect the game, especially in the modern NBA with the level of talent that there is to have consistent success. But let's move on to what I thought was the biggest game of the weekend, the biggest win for the Nuggets all season, and a super interesting kind of like taste of NBA playoff basketball. Last night, the Bucks versus the Nuggets in Denver. You know, the Bucs were on the tail end of a back-to-back, but they won uh, um, by like 40 or something in the previous game. So everyone played in the mid-20s for minutes, so it's not like they were overly fatigued. Um, the one thing you'll see with that is uh, it's it is tough to go into Denver just because of the elevation, that's, there's like significant statistical evidence that Denver has a great home court advantage. But hey, that's going to be something that exists in a playoff run as well, right? So that's not something you're going to give them any um, slack for. But the Bucs came in red hot. They were 24-3 and in their previous 27 games, playing just unbelievable basketball. Giannis is clearly hitting the Jets to try to get going for this playoff run. And they came out playing really well. Giannis came into the uh, first half just ridiculously aggressive. He was dunking everything. He had 24 points in the first half. They went up double digits. They uh, Brooke Lopez, in the first half in particular, did a decent job guarding uh, Nikola Jokic in isolation defense. And the game just had a playoff feel. And if it wasn't for a pretty hot shooting Jamal Murray there in the first half, they might have found themselves in trouble. But they stayed with it, and they stuck with it. And I, I And then in the second half, especially in that third quarter, you start to see... Denver's interior defense take over the game there was a bunch of really interesting matchup stuff in this game for starters the Bucks left Jokic in single coverage for most of the game um and in the first half Lopez held up pretty well but there in that third quarter like you know it was funny it just kept, he just kept pivoting and getting back to that right-handed jump hook over his left shoulder if it feels like when you watch the Nuggets that every single Nikola Jokic jump hook goes in the basket, it pretty much does. He's taken 124 hook shots this year, and he's made 83 of them. That's 67%. And that's best in the league out of the 25 players that have attempted at least 50 hook shots this year. By the way, point of trivia, who do you guys think is second in the league in efficiency on jump hooks for players to attempt at least 50? The answer is Nikola Vucevic, who I thought was wrongly ejected from a game today. Although it ended up working to Chicago's favor because Drummond was whooping AD's ass. Um, but he started to get that jump hook going against Brook Lopez. And then he was really killing Bobby Portis. Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. But there was a couple of specific uh, matchup things that were ugly defensively for the Bucks, And, and Bobby Portis was one of them. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about really quick before we move on with uh, Jokic's uh, post work is what what like and it's interesting because when with perimeter players I feel like getting super choppy with your feet is a bad thing. You want to have really solid footwork and you don't want to waste negative steps because you need to cover tons of ground to get to where you need to go. And negative steps actually delay your ability to make those quick movements. But with the post and especially with Jokic cuz what he's trying to do is he's trying to bully you to your to his spot He uses really choppy feet. He picks up his feet and and makes a a quick series of moves. And I actually think it works really well for him because it allows him to quickly reset his center of gravity every time. He's constantly chopping and resetting his base so you can't knock him off balance. And that allows him to bump you like five or six times on the same post-up. You know, most post-ups, you'll catch on the block and he will turn and look and like it'll be like maybe one bump, maybe two bumps, and then a move. But like Jokic, it's like he's bumping and hitting you like five or six times on the same post. There's a a reverse layup and one that he had on Brook Lopez. I actually posted a video of this on my Twitter feed that you guys can see. Uh, But on that play, Jokic hits uh, uh, Lopez with like five different post moves and five different fakes on the same attack. And and it's just a testament to how good his footwork is for for what he needs out of the post. And... You know, he has this, like, ridiculous... Every every great player has a move that kind of seems unfair. Like, um, LeBron, when he drives, just will swing his off-arm at you like a club. Literally looks like Rob Gronkowski with that big elbow brace, just, like, swinging it at you to, like, get by you to the basket. Giannis will do this, like, chicken wing thing where, like... He'll see the defender standing right in front of him and he'll take a big step forward and try to wrap his elbow around and spring himself around you. And it's like, there's just no chance in stopping him. Or like Kevin Durant, when he does that carry hesitation, like the ball's like damn near sitting on top of his hands as he's going into his crossover. And it just makes it impossible to guard him because you have to get up on that pull-up jumper, but then he can whip it into a crossover when he needs to. Well, Jokic, his unguardable move is that like chicken wing that he does. He does this hard pivot, like like it, 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 one of the harder spin moves that you'll see from a big man. It doesn't even look right coming from a player as big as he is, but he'll just quickly whip into that like hard spin back move, and nobody can do anything with it. And couple that with a jump hook that he never misses, and he becomes one of the most unguardable post players. I lo- he had 12 points and three assists during that third quarter run, and I really appreciated his aggression, because especially since they left him in single coverage, I, I've been critical of Jokic over the season for being like the the guy who's constantly trying to make the right play and not making enough of the NB Embi- and the Joel Embiid like let me be a force of nature as a scorer because I'm the best player on this floor and our team's best chance to score is by me being aggressive i liked to see that from him in that third quarter a couple other interesting matchup pieces in this game Bobby Portis really struggled. He's way too far back in his drop. And that was a big part of how Jamal Murray got going with his three point shot. He was just sagging way back into the paint, which you do. It makes more sense to do that when you're Brooke Lopez, because you don't have super quick feet and your length and athleticism or your length and size is your strength. So sitting back at the rim is the best way for you to impact defensively. Like Bobby Portis is a much better athlete than Brooke Lopez. He's much more mobile. He's more of a forward than he is a center. Like, Dude, your quickness gives you the ability to be out there and you're not going to bother anybody and drop coverage anyway cuz you're too small. And so it was it was a confusing um uh strategy from uh from Portis to sit back and kind of defend as a center. When you, when Portis is at center, I'd like to see them switch more. And they did that with Giannis. There was a big stretch of this game with Giannis at center and he was switching a lot of the screening actions and having some success. Um What's interesting is when Giannis would play like a traditional center versus like in help coverage or in drop coverage, he actually struggled a little bit in this game. You know, it's interesting, the dynamic where y- Giannis is actually kind of better as a help defender than he is as a traditional rim protector. And then Lopez is much better as a rim protector than he is kind of anywhere else on the floor. And so... Like, obviously, if you when Brook Lopez is gone in the future, go fast forward five years from now, I think Giannis will be one of the best big man center defenders that we have in the league when he gets all those reps. But he doesn't play a ton of center um, in the more traditional sense of the word, so he can struggle in that specific matchup. And I think you've seen that in the games that Brook Lopez has missed this year. Um, one other thing that I thought was super interesting, because like when I talked about Denver earlier this year, and I explained like what I thought was their pathway to the playoffs. I talked about how when I look at matchups, the, you have to beat Denver by exposing them for their lack of perimeter defense and by pulling Nikola Jokic away from the basket and forcing him to cover in space, right? But you need to be an outstanding pull-up jump shooting team to do that. And here's the thing. Milwaukee and Boston are not good pull-up jump shooting teams. Now, Boston can go five out and drive and kick you to death, so they can at least force Jokic to guard in space, so it's a little different. Like, they can go to Al Horford at center, tuck him away in the corner, and just drive and kick you to death. So, like, I think Boston matches up way better against Denver than Milwaukee does. But Milwaukee kind of plays into Denver's defensive strengths. You know, Denver has defended well enough this year, considering their personnel, In large part because they run a scheme that allows Jokic to stay around the basket, right? But Milwaukee is going to play directly into that. They're not going to force Denver to do something that makes them feel uncomfortable. I don't know if you guys remember this summer, but in the Euro Cup, the FIBA Euro Cup, there was a matchup uh, where Giannis and Jokic guarded each other for an entire game. And Jokic had a ton of success because he's so damn big that Giannis can't bully him. And if there's one. Deep, uh, like basketball strength that Jokic has, that he can devote to defense, is his basketball IQ. He's got good anticipation, and he's and he's got good instincts, and he sees the floor well. So, like, he can kind of pick up on Giannis's tendencies and figure out which direction he's going, and he can beat him into, into spots, and he can funnel him out of bounds. There was there was multiple transition pushes in this game where Giannis is freight training down the floor, and Jokic like diverted him away from the rim. And on a couple occasions, forced turnovers. And Aaron Gordon, again, like I've talked about the different archetypes of forwards. There's like that skinny mobile perimeter forward. And then there's like that big, strong power forward. And it's not the same that it used to be, right? Like it's not like the Drew Gooden slow-footed power forward. It's like the biggest, strongest athletes in the league that are like 6'9 plus that carry at least 230 pounds of muscle where they're just built like fridges and they have some of that perimeter skill, but they're not the same type of players like a Jaden McDaniels, for instance. Right. And Aaron Gordon is that type of player. And so like the combination of Gordon and Jokic to throw at Giannis, that's a super interesting matchup advantage. And they do well, they hold up well against Giannis. And then, you know, you get to, I talk about this all the time. Matchups are everything in basketball. Like, Arizona beat UCLA two out of three times this season, including in the Pac-12 championship game when all the chips were down on a neutral four. They beat UCLA. But Arizona had two plodding bigs and their guards aren't very good. So they ran into Princeton who spaced them out and all of a sudden their inability to move their feet on the perimeter became a huge problem and they lost to a 15 seed or whatever in the first round. But UCLA goes all the way to the Sweet 16 and looks really good and ends up losing on a difficult shot at the buzzer or near the buzzer from Gonzaga, right? Like, Arizona's a better basketball team than UCLA. And they proved it throughout the season, but matchups can get you beat in basketball. And, like, if you can single cover Giannis and not have to overdo the help thing, you can suddenly turn all of... Milwaukee spot-up players into guys that aren't playing with as much of an advantage. For instance, look at the shot diet from Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton in that game. Because they're not operating with the same level of advantage from Giannis warping things to death, they're taking a lot of really difficult shots. It's a lot of tough, contested pull-up jumpers for Drew Holiday. It's a lot of tough, contested turnaround fadeaways from Chris Middleton. They they and look, there's a place in the NBA for tough shot making, and it's an important ceiling raising piece. But the Bucks, in order to be as fluid offensively as they need to be, they need Giannis to consistently dictate double teams, and that's a big part of why. Like when I really look at Denver, if they can get out of the West, and look, here's the deal: I have not seen enough from any other team to unseat Denver as my favorite in the West, even with all their issues. But if they can get out of the West and Milwaukee is the team waiting for them, that's a real matchup they can win. And that's why, like, look, Denver fans can't stand me. And they think I'm way too hypercritical of the team. And they think I hate Jokic. And I love Jokic. Just don't think he's better than the top tier guys in the league. But the reality is, is I've never taken Denver off of my top tier list or my list of contenders that can win. I have, um, I think, seven teams that I think can win that I've I've been pointing out on this show. Denver's one of them. I think they can win it. Of course they can. And if matchups break right, like, if they catch Milwaukee in the finals, there's a real chance that the Denver Nuggets can win an NBA championship. And I thought that, I thought you saw a lot of that personnel stuff show in that matchup versus Milwaukee last night. Jamal Murray finally uh is finally kind of coming out of his slump. He had been struggling for about a month. It was a big part of why uh Denver had, put some losses on the table and he's he was being really aggressive trying to shoot his way out of his slump Uh, but in his last four games 23 points and eight assists with just 2.3 turnovers 52% from the field and 63% from three on seven attempts per game like I said back when he was slumping we'll say the same thing now he needs to be that level of high-end shot creator and shot maker for Denver to have a chance but he seems to be getting it back together at the right time all right, before we get out of here, I wanted to talk for just a couple of minutes about uh, Dallas's recent struggles because they just lost back-to-back embarrassing games to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, but I want to go back to when I originally recorded that instant reaction video back when I was in Breckenridge when the trade originally went down. That very day, I predicted that they would not have any chance to win a championship this year which isn't exactly any sort of outlandish prediction i have a 29 out of 30 percent 29 out of 30 chance of being correct when i make that type of prediction but the reality is is i just didn't think they had the athleticism to contend with any good team sending out who they sent out you know i I, the the best example of this type of trade-off is uh like the russell westbrook trade with the lakers right like i always would say That the Lakers fell apart because of the Russell Westbrook trade, not because of Russell Westbrook. Now, it also was bad. Like, Russ didn't help things because he was not the same player that he used to be. He was a janky fit with LeBron and AD. Didn't embrace all the little things that he needed to do to help them win. It was a bunch of other stuff. But they sent out a bunch of really important players that filled vital responsibilities on the team. And so when they struggled, I thought that was a huge part of it. There was always two problems that needed to be addressed. What do you do with Russ? But Also, how do you recoup the type of dirty work, athleticism, you know, and and just motor that you had from those other guys? And Dorian Finney-Smith, like, again, this team already has weaknesses defensively in other areas of their roster, right? Like, this is a bad perimeter defense team that also is a bad rim protection team. But they had one of the best 3 and D wings in the league in Dorian Finney-Smith, and that in combination with Luca's greatness and Jalen Brunson's greatness and Maxi Kleba just doing enough defensively in the front court, knocking down enough shots, gave them enough juice to get to the Western Conference Finals. But in that Kyrie Irving trade, you sent out Dorian Finney Smith and you lost Jalen Brunson for nothing, which was inexcusable, even more inexcusable in retrospect. We look back and it's like, if Jamal Murray can make 30 million a year in this league, how can you let a legitimate, like, primary shot creator and Jay- like, and look, he took a leap this year, no doubt. He went, a, he took a leap basically to all star, but he was every bit worth the 30 million you could have paid to keep him in Dallas had you not been cheap about it, which was a real problem. Um, but when you sent out that level of talent, you had to recoup it. Like, Kyrie Irving is an upgrade on Jalen Brunson, no doubt. But to, re- to get back Kyrie Irving, you had to send out Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie, who is one of your best shot creators. And so like the, re- the ensuing the result is a team that can't guard on the perimeter, can't guard in the wing, and can't guard at the rim. That, that, that's going to fundamentally make it impossible for you to consistently win NBA games. That's just a fact. And look, Charlotte's bad. Charlotte's a bad team. They don't have like they're one of the least skilled offensive teams in the league. But you know what, our, what you know what Charlotte is? They're freaky athletic at every position. Like their their one elite skill on that roster is they are athletic as hell. And that sort of specific thing attacks Dallas's weakness. But the reason why I wanted to talk about it today is i I think it's completely unfair to blame this on Kyrie Irving. And I also think it's completely unfair to blame this on the trade because here's the reality. You weren't going to win an NBA championship with Luka by himself. You needed to find him a legitimate co-star. And regardless of whatever happened with Jalen Brunson, I'm not sure if he would have been enough anyway. Kyrie Irving has proven in his career the ability to win a championship as a number two. Essentially, cover all the other bases Kyrie can take you home with clutch shot making. That's been proven. And I think he's had success in a lot of situations around the league as that second star. So I appreciated that specific move from them. But I always thought of it as a move for the future. Because of the otherworldly offensive skill of Kyrie and Luka, they don't need to get highly advanced offensive role players around them. They don't need to be guys that can do advanced shot creation and high-level close-out attacking. Like, if they can knock down a third of their threes and defend at a high level, they can play for the Mavericks and make them good. And you can find, in the offseason, through the mid-level exception and through the veteran minimum uh, exception, you can find quality players that do one thing well you can find guys that are great on offense or suck on defense or that are great on defense and suck on offense that's a pretty typical archetype that you'll find in the discount salary slots in the NBA and having Kyrie and Luka gives you the flexibility to go after those guys and there are a lot of guys like that out there I was shocked they didn't try to go after someone like Stanley Johnson because he's the kind of archetype of, of wing athlete that could help in a lot of different ways. But the Kyrie Irving trade was always about the future. They they I bet you within that front office, they didn't think they had much of a chance this year giving up what they had given up. But going into this offseason, they're going to be able to address those weaknesses on the periphery of the roster. And then going into next year, you're going to have Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic and a roster of players that is specifically catered to what they don't do well, which is all of the dirty work. And so, like, I, it feels it feels opportunistic to blame it on Kyrie. Kyrie has won three games without Luca this year for the Mavs. He outplayed Anthony Davis like a week ago. Kyrie's not the problem. The problem is, is to get him, you had to give up your best wing defender and another shot creator. They will have a chance to rectify that this summer. And so, I, I don't, I don't. I don't, I'm not judging Dallas based on the results from this season. We'll see the kind of players that they target this offseason. But, like, it's really simple. It's, like, if you if you look at it, you know, Josh Green's going to be there. He's going to have one of those significant rotation spots. Maxi is going to be there. He's going to have one of those significant rotation spots. But if you're a veteran minimum or mid-level exception center who's, like, a legit rim protector and a lob threat, like, go to Dallas. There's a starting spot there for you right? If you're a six-seven wing that defends but doesn't do a lot of the other things well and you want minutes, like you want 25 guaranteed minutes, Dallas is the spot for you. And you're going to get a bunch of standstill, wide open threes alongside Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. They will be able to address these personnel weaknesses in the offseason. And I think next year we can take a significant look And whether or not the Kyrie Irving trade was worth it. But I I don't think it's fair to judge them at this point. And, like, the other thing, too, that I think constantly gets glossed over in these discussions is just the general, the the impact that belief has on your effort level. I talk a lot about this with, uh, I talked about it with the Warriors earlier, like, body language. Oh, they look, they don't look like they're having fun. Nobody enjoys losing. That's universal around basketball in the world. No one likes losing. And so obviously the energy is bad. But belief is what drives you out of that hole. And there isn't a lot of belief there. Why would you believe, if you are Kyrie uh, Kyrie and Luca that you have a chance to win when you cannot contend physically with your opponent? That belief is not there. It's a very human thing. They know they have to play otherworldly good to have a chance to win. And that's just a lot of pressure to play under. And so I, I just want to cut Kyrie some slack in the meantime. And Luca as well. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We're going to be going live uh, tomorrow night. I believe tomorrow is the big rematch between Embiid and Jokic, if I remember correctly. But we're going live um, tomorrow night on AMP. And then we'll be going during the day, during the morning on Thursday and Thursday night on AMP. We have another uh, major nationally televised game. I want to say that's Buck Celtics. And then we're going to be going on Saturday and Sunday as well. As always, I appreciate you guys. And I will see you on Monday night. The volume. See Lisa.com for more details.